sermon text today is the fourth chapter of the book of Esther. Just like last week, it's probably best that I give you a little bit of background, a little bit of context to get us up to speed. The book of Esther tells us a story. It's a story about people who really existed, but it's ultimately not just a story about them. It's a story about God and about his faithfulness to his promises and to his people. Nowhere in the book is God explicitly mentioned, but his sovereign and providential hand is seen at work throughout the entire book as he works on behalf of his people, holding things together for them, even in the midst of the darkness that surrounds them in the world. The story takes place almost five centuries before the birth of Christ Jesus in the city of Susa. Susa was the capital of Persia, which at that time extended from India in the east to Ethiopia in the west. And Susa was the capital city. It was there that King Ahasuerus reigned. This book opens with him holding a party and getting drunk and calling for his wife to come, the queen, Vashti, that she might entertain the drunken crowd that is partying with him with her beauty. She refuses to come, and he ultimately decides, well, I guess I need a new queen. Well, we're going to skip a lot here, but, but essentially he ends up choosing for himself a new queen whose name is Esther. Now, none of this is important to him, but she is the orphan child of, of parents who have died that subsequently has left her to be raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. She, like Mordecai, was Jewish. Now, we need to remember that the people of God had been carried off into exile by the Babylonians, and that's why they find themselves in Persia at this time. Through a series of actions that we, again, won't go into for the sake of time, a villain in the story arises. Every good story has to have a hero and it has to have a villain, right? Well, the villain is a guy named Haman, and he eventually uh, essentially bribes the king and tells him that he should kill or issue an edict to kill all of the Jews in the kingdom. Well, things could not have been more dark. They seemed extremely hopeless in this situation. It might not happen immediately, but this edict is sure to be carried out, or so it seems. And so that brings us to chapter 4 of Esther. If you're able once more, please rise out of respect for God's word as I read now our sermon text, Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. This is the inspired word of God. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes 
and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes into the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. and Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, and I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and for practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray once more with me? Our Lord, our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it teaches us, that it directs us, but especially for the fact that it shows us Jesus. May we see him today. For it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Well, as the people of God, as Chris mentioned earlier, we are commanded one thing. We are to love. We love because God first loved us. So the question becomes, well, well who exactly 
are we supposed to love? I mean, the Bible should be a little more specific than just this broad love, and thankfully it is. It's far more specific than just blankly saying love. It tells you that we are to love God. Well, that's great. And we're to love our spouse as well, okay? And, and our children, okay, check, got that one. And, and the rest of our family members too. And sometimes this is getting a little harder here, isn't it? Well, it says we're also supposed to love our fellow members of the church because we actually are a family together with one another. And we're supposed to love our friends and our neighbors, even the annoying ones that make too much noise and leave their trash out too long. We're supposed to love sojourners, those who just happen to be passing through. We're even supposed to love our enemies. In short, we're supposed to love everyone. Well, that's a, a pretty steep calling on our lives. What exactly does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of different things, but in today's text specifically, I think we see three things that I want to point us to, and that is if we are to love as we are called to love, there will be times of mourning, there will be times of comforting, and there will be times of laying down our very lives. We see a picture of all three of them here. First, there will be times of mourning. As we start today's passage, we see that Mordecai is in a very dark, dark situation. Right? And it wasn't just him, it's the entire people of God. So we're not surprised at all by, by how he reacts in this situation. Right? We see that he tears his clothes, that he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and that he goes out into the midst of the city and he cries out with a loud and bitter cry. Now, now that's culturally how a Jew in that day would respond to bad situations with with mourning in this way they, they would mourn and they would do so in a very public fashion we we tend to not be quite so uh outward in our mourning don't we I, if we're going to mourn we we would tend to culturally more retreat into uh ourselves maybe just mourn silently and and not let anybody see it or perhaps we would we would close ourselves off and go into our, our bedroom and close the door and quietly sob as we mourn. But we don't like to express our mourning in quite the same way, do we? I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's a, a cultural difference. And the way that Mordecai does it here was very standard for the culture of the day. And he goes up to the king's gate, right, but doesn't go beyond that. It's interesting. We see that. It's because because nobody is allowed to go into the king's gate if they are wearing sackcloth and ashes, if they're mourning. You can understand that. If you're the king and, and people are in your kingdom, they, they must be happy, right? After all, I'm the king and they're my subjects. And, and they must be happy. And so there's actually a law that says if you're in mourning, you really can't come in front of the king. He's, he doesn't want to see all that mourning stuff. He doesn't want to see all that sadness. He only wants to see people with smiles 
on their faces, right? So, so if you're mourning, you don't get to come into the castle. The, the people inside the castle then would be walled off from the realities of the darkness of the world, the harsh realities that, that exist in the culture around them. You see, it's not just Mordecai that's responding this way. Verse 3 tells us that throughout the prov every province in the kingdom, wherever the command of the king reached, there was great mourning, fasting, weeping, lamenting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now our mourning, as we look at the world around us and the darkness that we have in our world, though it might look differently, should be no less real. Because though, though we do not have an edict that has been uh, sent out that has said all those who are in the church need to be killed, right? There is all kinds of darkness around us. There is all kinds of evil. There are places in the world where members of the church are being killed. And we should mourn for them. There, there are places where there are other things that are equally as bad. And even in our world around us, we see all kinds of evil and brokenness and injustice, and we should mourn. Too often, I think, we, within the church, kind of have this mindset that says, you know, we, we should just think that, that everything is all right, right? Because Jesus died for our sins, and, and we're going to go to heaven one day, and so we should just smile every day, all day, and that's, that's how life should go for us. But that's not the picture that the Bible draws for us, right? There is a time to mourn. There's a time to weep. And when we see people being oppressed, when we see people being unrightly injured, when we see people being abused, these things should call for our mourning. people of God, the community of God, should be a safe place for us to lament, shouldn't it? That's why God gave us psalms of lament, right? We, when we looked at the psalms this summer, we, we talked about that. Somehow there are psalms that, that just call us to lament. It's a good thing that God gave us that. We should actually have, have services of lament on, on occasion, perhaps, where we just say, you know what, there is something broken in our world, something terrible in our world. And we want to gather and mourn that together. Reading psalms of lament, singing songs of lament, uh, praying prayers of lament, and seeking the, God, the deliverance of God Almighty. Unfortunately, while the people of God, the community of God, should be a, a good place for that, Esther was kind of walled off from the community of God, wasn't she? She's inside the castle, right, where, where you don't get to see this ugliness of the world around you. You don't get to see the darkness of the world. And so as she was walled off from them, she, she didn't get to share in the mourning that was taking place from Ethiopia to India, and certainly there in Susa. In the same way, often we kind of compromise with the world, don't we? We, we fall in with the world and we, we spend more time around those who are of the world and, and we spend our, our habits and our, our energies and our thoughts and our passions apart from the people of God. And, and we can kind of lose track of what's going on 
amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can think that things are just going fine because we're just being swept along, but, but the reality is we need to remember this is a dark and broken world. It's a dark and broken world that needs fixing and that we should be mourning even now. We should mourn with those who experience loss and hardship. We should mourn with those who are persecuted. We should mourn over our personal sin as well as the sin of the church. Well, Esther kind of wondered what was going on. She heard that Mordecai's out there mourning. He's, he's wailing. He's got this bitter cry. Perhaps she hears it through the walls, and she's like, what, what, what's going on out there? And so she sends her young women and her eunuchs. They come to her. They, they, they tell her, well, that's Mordecai. He's, he's, he's wailing. He's crying. He's, he's got this bitter cry that's going on and says that she became distressed. Now, now we say, well, what's she distressed about? I don't think at this point she's distressed about the edict. I don't think she even knows about the edict at this point. And I think that's kind of shown later in the text. I think she's just distressed because a loved one of hers, Mordecai, is mourning. He's grieving, and she doesn't want that to happen. And we don't like that either, do we? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of us are the same way, I think. If, if there's somebody who's got a lot of problems and they're grieving and they're mourning, I mean, even if we want to help them, it, it's hard. It, it wears on us, doesn't it? And, and sometimes we're like, boy, I, I wish that they were just happy, right? That I wish they were just happy and everything was okay. Uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of uh, the sense I get from Esther here, right? Because what she, do, she does is she... It says she sends out garments to clothe Mordecai so he, he can take off the sackcloth as if, as if ju just changing his clothes will make everything better, right? It's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the old uh, routine that Bob Newhart did where he was a psychiatrist. He had somebody come see him, right? And, and she had this, this fear, this phobia of, of being buried alive in a box, right? And that was her, his, her phobia that she had, her fear. That's why she came to him. And, and he said, well, I, I think I can solve this. I think I've got an answer. I, actually, it's very simple. I, I don't think you need to take any notes. It's just two words. And she said, yeah. And she leans in and he says, stop it. Stop it. That's, that, that was his advice for her. Now, now, that's not very helpful advice, is it, right? That, that, that's not helpful at all. That's kind of, I think, what Esther's doing here. She, she's saying, stop it. Put on some clothes. Be happy. There are times when we need to hear hard truths, right? It's not, not always that we should have gentleness toward us. Sometimes we need to hear what we don't want to hear. Right? Too often we, we, we in our world become like Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will having, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So there, there are times that we need to be confronted, but this clearly is not one of those times. This clearly is a time where comfort is what's needed, consoling, comfort. There will be times of comforting. And Esther calls for Hathak, one of the eunuchs who had been appointed to attend to her and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why. Right? So, so this is why I think she, she didn't understand what was going on. She just knew that he was 
morning. She, now, now she's finally asking, why, why exactly is he mourning? Why, is that, why exactly is this mourning going on? Right? And as God's people, we're called to comfort those who mourn. And one of the most important parts of comforting, and I'm not always good at this, and I think men aren't always good at this. Not that women are always good, but I think women are a lot better than men at this. One of the most important parts of comforting is listening, right? Listening to what other people have to say, hearing what they're saying. Not necessarily jumping straight to trying to fix the problem, but just listening so you can better understand the problem, so you can better sympathize with the person, so you can comfort them and love them. One of my professors at seminary, Jerem Bars, used to work with Francis Schaeffer, and he tells how when Francis Schaeffer would have somebody come to his house, he would, he would have them come in and listen to their problems. And, and, and Jerem said that, that he would devote himself to listening for hours to the struggles and questions of those who came to his house. He would say, if I have only one hour with someone, I will spend the first 55 minutes asking questions and finding out what is troubling their heart and mind. And then in the last five minutes, I will share something of the truth, right? He, he d didn't leap straight to solving the problems. He, he, in comforting, listened. And so this is what Esther's trying to do here, and I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. She's trying to, to hear what the issue actually is. So, so Hathet goes out to Mordecai, and Mordecai tells him what's going on in verse 7. And in verse 8, he gives him a copy of the written decree, shares everything. And he commanded her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. As I read that, as I was thinking about that this week and, and working on this, I, it, it came to me how very mosaic her position is at this point, right? This, this person who is a Jew by birth, though somewhat secretly now, who lives amidst the royal house, who now is called to go save the people of God. Well, she is told to do this by Hathak in verse 9. And this is where the rubber kind of hits the road, doesn't it? Because now Esther has a dilemma. She, she wants to obey Mordecai because she loves him, because he has acted kind of in loco parentis for her. He, is, he has been that, that father figure to her. And so she wants to honor him and respect him and do what he says. And she certainly wants to help her people. But there is a problem here, right? And, and Esther speaks to Hathak in verse 10. And, and, and she says, go to Mordecai and, and remind him, as it were, the way the law works in this situation. Right? And essentially what is, verse 11 tells us that if anyone, even the queen, desires an audience with the king and goes in uninvited, they are to be put to death unless the king decides, okay, not this time, and extends his golden scepter so that they may live. And to make matters worse, you would think, well, yeah, but the queen, you know, She's got an in there, but she even says here, it's been 30 days 
since the king has called for her. Now, there's all kinds of darkness and brokenness just in that phrase, in that sentence, isn't there? That, that the queen has not been granted an audience with her husband for 30 days, right? We don't have time to go into all of the, the darkness and brokenness that is there, but it certainly is. So Esther sends this message to Mordecai. She doesn't refuse to go, but, but in essence, she's kind of saying, are you sure, Mordecai? <laughs> like, maybe reconsider this idea here. And we told Mordecai what Esther said. Mordecai tells them to reply to Esther in verse 13. Don't think that yourself... Don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place. And we start to see really bold strokes here. The sovereign hand of God, right? It says there, God will providentially deliver us regardless. right? God uses means and, and, and it's very possible that you might be the means that God has de determined to use. In fact, he says in, in, in just a moment here that, that who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Right? The idea is that, that God might have put you in this place for this very thing. But it will demand a lot of her, won't it? And that leads us to our third point there. There will be times of laying down our lives. There's no good options for Esther at this point. She can either put her life on the line or she can forsake it. But as Mordecai says here, then, you know, your father's house and you will perish because you're going to die either way. Well, evidently, even though she has been physically separated from it, Esther still considers herself part of the covenant community and she decides to do what is right she tells Mordecai, go gather all the Jews that can be found. Hold a fast on my behalf. Right? She says, basically, it, it's not spoken here, but, but the way a fast would work generally is it, right, it's going to be with prayer. Right? May the whole community gather around in prayer and support for what I'm going to do. And I'm going to pray and I, I'm going to fast as well. And even you know, if you look at it just from a, an earthly perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Because... Again, not what is right, but what is. Her, her only avenue to the king here is her physical appearance, right? And so she's going to go three days without eating. She's going to no doubt be, be not at her uh, visual finest. And so she will come before him. It doesn't make sense from a merely earthly perspective. She trusts that God is at work here. God is at work. She's got the people of God praying for her. But she says, in essence, even if God doesn't accomplish this this way, it is the right thing to do. I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That is somewhat reminiscent of the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? As Nebuchadnezzar tells them to bow down before, 
before the golden idol that he's created, or else he's going to throw them in the fiery furnace. They say to him, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Here, Esther's saying the same thing, right? She's saying, I'm going to put my hands in God, my life in God's hands. He can deliver me here. But even if he doesn't deliver me here, I will trust in him. I will do what is right. I will serve him in this place. And so we see in the rest of the book what happens. Well, things work out. Things work out, and that's great. And we like that. Esther ends up going before the king. He listens to her wise pleas on behalf of the people of God. Uh, the, the villain of our story even gets his comeuppance, right? And he, he ends up getting dealt with. And Mordecai even ends up rising to a place of prominence, number two in all of the kingdom. All right? Everything turns out great. But that's not really the point of today's message. Because sometimes we are faithful and not everything turns out great. Right? Consider John the Baptist, right? He was the greatest prophet. He was the ultimate. He was faithful in the things he did. And he lost his head. Sometimes we try to act righteously in the midst of darkness, and it just gets darker yet. Now, we would like everything to work out. We'd like the good guys to, to always wear a white hat and to always be for truth, justice, and the American way and, and, and for the bad guys to always get defeated and for things to work out like they should. And, and we always think of ourselves as being the good guy, of course, right? So, so we always want the good guy to win. But the reality is life is not so simple, right? Even the faithful are not always faithful. Esther didn't always have everything right. But there's some really good news even in that. Two things as we move towards a close here. One is that God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes. Right? It's not required that you be perfect for God to use you. And that's good news. God can use me. He can use you. He can use any of us for his purposes. But even better news is this. Number two, Esther is a hero in this story, but she is not the ultimate hero. She points to another one whose theology is perfect, whose morality is perfect, whose every thought, word, and deed are perfect. She points, of course, to Jesus, the true and better Esther. Right? Consider Jesus. Uh, we, we talked about mourning. Remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus as he wept. Remember Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem at his triumphal entry. Jesus who, who comforts us. right? Jesus who is the, the good shepherd who comforts us with his rod and his staff. He who is the prince of peace who gives to us his peace that is not like the world's peace, but is, is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Jesus, who lays down his very life for you and for me. Jesus so loved the world that he came to die 
for you and me. For Jesus is, as Tim Keller put it, the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one. Who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. That's why he came, and that's why we celebrate this time of year. As God became a man, spirit took on flesh. The immortal clothed itself in immortality, or the immortal clothed itself in mortality. And into the darkness of this world came a light. Not just a light to you and to me, but he who is truly the light of the world. He is love. He is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we we thank you that, that you give us light in the midst of our darkness. That you give us love that we might love. That you sent Jesus to mourn with and for us, to comfort us, and even to lay down his life for us that we might know you. Be with us now and help us to celebrate him this and every day. For we ask it in his name. Amen. If you're able now, would you rise as we sing our concluding hymn, hymn number 487, Sometimes a Light Surprises.